So this morning we're continuing in 1 John, and we're going to be in a little short section of Scripture in 1 John. It's going to be 1 John chapter 2, verses 28 to chapter 3, verse 3. So 1 John chapter 2, verse 28 to chapter 3, verse 3. I'm, I'm really excited about this morning because I've been, and it, I didn't realize it until actually this morning, as we were praying with the worship team before the service, but I've been, I haven't, I haven't been seeing, I, I'm missing Cornerstone. Have you, this is my theme this morning. All month I've been teaching the kids upstairs, and so I miss so many of you as I teach upstairs because I'm up there and then I don't get to interact, and so it's really good to be here with you and together this morning in the sanctuary. But this morning's passage is, is about children and being children of God, and, and this morning it just hit me like, man, I've been able to be with our kids upstairs for a month and it's just been great being with them because they just say things that are awesome and they let me be a kid. They say things that help me see Jesus in ways that I wouldn't normally see them through my adult eyes. And so I get to see them be kids and model that for me and they give me an opportunity to be a child. And then as I'm preparing for the sermon, I find that this is all about being children. And so it's just really cool. So I'm like really excited about this morning because I feel the message is kind of burning in me. And I did, as, like I said, as we were praying this morning um, before everybody arrived, I was like, oh God, you've actually been preparing this word all month because you've allowed me to be with our children and be more like a child and hear from kids and all this sort of cool stuff and then to teach about children. So I'm excited. Um, this morning is, is simple. It's stuff that you know, or that most of you know, but I question if we really believe it, either because it's just so basic that we just kind of be like, yep, I know that, check, I'm good with that in scripture, and then we just go and engage life, or we get it, but we only engage it on the surface, and there's just such a depth to what it is we're going to talk about, about being children of God. And we've talked about this at Cornerstone before. So I really want us to engage with our hearts because it's going to be easy for you to engage with your mind today because it's not going to be this like really like intricate teaching. You're going to have to grasp all these historical concepts and Greek and Hebrew and all that. That's all good. And there's a time and a place for that. It's just not this morning. This morning, God wants to like dig a hole in our hearts and plant a seed and water it, and just make the roots grow down deep, okay? So that's what he wants for us this morning. So let's pray. Jesus, I pray just that, that you would dig a hole in our depths, and plant what it is you want to plant, and and water it, and that we could know that those roots are growing deep, deep within us, that your roots are growing deep, deep within us, Jesus. So engage our hearts this morning, and where our hearts are distracted, God, take that away. We love you, Jesus, and we pray this in your name. Amen. First John 2, verse 28. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, 
And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So the general feel of this, just these short few verses in scripture, is John is imploring his listeners to stay connected to Christ. Be connected to Christ. We get it. That's what we know. We're we're told this. We desire this, right? John's saying it again. Abide. Remain in him. This whole idea of just this family language, this familial language of children and parents. We may not all have great relationships with our parents. Maybe those relationships are hard and broken and um, very painful places. But even if we know that as our reality, we also know that that's not what God's design has been. That's not what it's ever been. That we get the idea that children are to be connected to their parents. When children are born, they're naturally connected to their mom. They know the intimacy of that this is my mom. They just know. It's their spirit. It's how they were made. It's how God created them. They know it. And so we understand that this child-parent relationship is a close one. It's an intimate one. Um, I want to step through the passage and just look how each verse reflects that, how each verse speaks that. And then, and then we're going to dive in. We're going to dive in a little deeper. So verse 28, and now little children. He starts off right away, little children. There's this affectionate call, little children. You are children. Abide in him, remain in him, stay close to him. So that when he appears, we don't pull away from him, right? Stay close to him so that when he appears, we don't pull away. Stay close. Um, if you know that he is righteous, then, then out of your overflow, then you'll practice righteousness. Like there's this nature of, you know, uh, a, a father being, li- or the son being like the father, right? W- when I was a young kid, I, my dad played the trumpet. I wanted to play the trumpet because my dad played the trumpet, right? I wanted to be like my dad. And so I did the things that my dad did. If my dad were a professional basketball player, maybe I would have been a professional basketball player, probably with not much luck, but at least it would have been my desire. So there's this, this connection of being righteous because, because he's righteous. And then in going into chapter 3, see what kind of love the Father has given to us. So the Father comes at us with love, and because he comes at us with love, we are defined as his children. Our identity as his, is as his children. So he defines it. He makes it real. We're his kids. We just are because he made us. Whether or not we realize that and receive that and take that on and live in that is, is another question. The reason the world doesn't know us is because the world doesn't know him. Again, you know, like, like the dad, so goes the kids. The world doesn't know you because the world doesn't know him. Again, there's a connection there. There's a connection. Um, beloved, beloved, beloved. We are God's children now. But we're going to come into a deeper realization of what this actually means in the future. When Jesus comes and he hasn't come back yet, we're going to know fully what it's going to be like. So you can claim your um, identity as a child of God now, 
but you're going to get so much more later and it's going to be awesome and you're going to love it. And the language in here, particularly in the ESV, is just beautiful. Um, Beloved, we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared. How cool is that? What we will be, like Jesus, has not yet appeared. It's our deep connection to Christ. Deep connection to Christ. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him more fully, right? And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself. Again, just like the righteousness at the end of chapter two. And because he is pure, then we're just gonna overflow in wanting to purify ourselves because we wanna be like dad because we're his kids. The whole point here is to realize who we are as children of God, that we're his kids, to realize that there's a fullness of that that has yet to come but will come, and three, that out of our overflow of realizing that, that we're going to live pure, righteous lives because we want to reflect the Father to the world, right? We want to live righteous and pure, not to check it off our list or to not get punished by him, but we want to live righteous and pure because we want the world to go, there's Jesus. They reflect Jesus, that the world might then know him. Okay, so that's the basic overview and feel for the passage. You get it. It's easy. It's not hard. Hopefully your heart's beginning to connect with that. Now, I want to get cynical. So we're going to get cynical, cynical. Um, Nice stuff. Thank you. This all sounds great, right? This is good Christian language. It's good biblical language. It's stuff many of us have heard before. You might be sitting in your seat saying to yourself, amen, Matt, I'm so glad you're bringing this message. This is great. Um, I get it. I've been living it. I want to live it. I'm living it every day. Yeah, child of God, right? But we say this. But do we really believe it? Do we really believe it? Do we really know what it means to connect with Jesus in the way that John is, is asking his listeners to connect with Jesus, to receive that connection from God as children? Because it's such common language for us. It's, it's very easy for us to kind of be like, yep, I get it, and we set it over here, and then we go and, and then we live differently over here. Are you a child of God? Yep, I'm a child of God. Boop, I'm doing my other stuff right here. We might give verbal acknowledgement to it. We might talk about it. We might pretend that we're living as children of God in this deep abiding relationship, but it's just, it's this deep, and we're actually living over here in other ways. So like we're, we're saying this, but we're over here buying groceries and paying bills and working and taking care of the kids and living life and dealing with all this stuff, and that becomes our life. That becomes our identity in some way, shape, or form. That stuff occupies our time. It occupies our space. It occupies our relationships. And we still say, yes, I'm a child of God. Sure, boop. And then we're right back here into these other things. And in fact, I think we can go as far as to say that these other things, idols start to come out of these other things. Am I a child of God? Sure, but it's the money, the power, the success, the stuff that's actually driving us on. And so instead of this internal thing, this internal identity of being children of God, being the thing that just drives our life, there's these other external things that are actually 
driving our life, and we don't even realize it. Yes, I'm a child of God, and all these things are just pulling at us and dictating how we make decisions and how we live and how we raise our kids, how we parent, how we build our relationships, how we interact with coworkers, how we spend our money, how we don't spend our money. But I'm a child of God, but these things are just separated, and there's this huge, huge chasm in them. And we end up actually worshiping idols instead of living in our identity. And our identity is to be children of God, to abide, to remain. It says that we are, our righteousness shows that we have been born of him. That picture of being born, that of giving birth is such an intimate picture. We come from him. Why would we give it up or just give it head knowledge, acknowledgement? So this is where we really have to kind of go into the deep places of our heart and be like, gosh, how do I engage this? Do I actually engage my identity as a child of God as the driving force in my life? Or do my idols, do these external things drive me? And and it's a valid question to ask, and and I think as believers, oh, we don't want to think about our idols, right? (laughs) Because that means we're sinful. Yes, we're sinful. It's okay to look at our idols. It's not okay to be sinful. It's okay to look at our idols to find out what God wants to speak there. And, and we might even ask ourselves questions like, is this stuff more important to me than being a child of God? And the answer might be yes. The answer might be yes. And if it is, then, then we need to seek the Father as his children in deep, deep ways and receive the love that he's shooting at us. What kind of love the Father has given to us? See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of love, children of his. We have to turn and look and see what kind of love the Father has given us so that we know that we're children. Like our eyes have to get off of this stuff and onto him so we can behold him. That's the only way. This stuff is always going to win the day if we let it. It does for all of us. It, It always wins the day. There's always the next thing. There's always that thing beckoning us, and it always, always, always lets us down. Always lets us down. I asked Justin in the office, Justin, what what was the question I asked you? I said, one impression. Do you remember? Yeah, why would you want to be a child of God? And what did you say? Uh, versus following an idol. And you're like, Cause it, didn't you say it always lets you down? I think that's what you said. God's yeah, God's faithful. God is steadfast. God is, he's, he's long-suffering. He's with us. But yet, we always have reasons to follow this stuff. We always do. And so we, uh, we have to seriously ask ourselves the question, is it really worth claiming our identity in Christ? Is it really worth it? And if it's really worth it, do we claim it? Sometimes yes and sometimes no. Uh, if you're looking for a pick-me-up this morning, sorry. I know, this is really... So remember, but we're in the let's get cynical section, okay? So there's more. There's hope, because there's hope in Jesus. But we're in the cynical section, but we're coming out of the cynical section. John is saying, like, this is where life is. 
your identity as a child is where life is. This stuff is a part of life. We interact with it, right? Money, jobs, logistics, grocery shopping, paying bills, broken relationships. But remember the impression that I shared with you this morning. Like, what does God want us to see? He wants us to see him and him alone. And when we have one eye over here and one eye over here, we, we're not seeing him alone. We're, we're split, we're bifurcated. And the draw tends to come from these other things because they promise something immediate. They always let us down, but they promise something immediate and may even deliver something immediate to us. But they always, always, always let us down. But when we remain in Christ, when we remain in him, then we realize who we are as his children. So kids, okay, so here comes the hope, is kids get this stuff, right? We're talking about children this morning, right? So kids get this stuff. Like I said earlier, when I was a kid, I wanted to be like my dad. Why? Dad, if you're listening to this, I'm sorry. My dad was not super cool, all right? I mean, he wore jean cutoffs and on Sunday to mow the lawn and jacked up his dress socks up to his knees, you know, with his white t-shirt on. And um, it wasn't cool in the 80s. It's not cool now. Um, You know, but he was my dad and he loved me and I knew that. And he played the trumpet and so I wanted to play the trumpet and I wanted to hang out with my dad and I wanted to do things with my dad because he was my dad and I was his kid and that's how we were made to interact. And then eventually, you know, I grow up and mature to degrees, and I, I, I pull away from my dad, appropriately so, as I mature and become an adult, you know, and, and my dad moves into a different stage of his life. And, um, but, but as a kid in particular, you know, like when I would do something good, like playing sports, you know, when I score a goal as a kid, who was I looking to see if saw it? My dad because I wanted him to be proud, and he was. So kids, my kids come home with artwork, right, at school. Dad, look what I did. You know, oh, that's awesome. What is it? Oh, dragon, a dragon. That's the best dragon I've ever seen. That is so amazing. Or they, Savannah wants to talk about dance. You know, you know when, it, when you, at the end of her dance class, they let the parents in for the last two minutes to see some new moves that they learned. And like when I walk in, the girls in the dance class are always looking. Is my mom or dad walking through the door to watch me? You know, and then, you know, you make eyes, and when they make eyes, and I make eyes with Savannah, and, you know, she'll smile. Oh, okay, good, dad's here. And the other kids do the same with their mom or dad. Kids get it. They want to remain. They want to abide with their parents. That's why God gives us this picture in his word. The thing is, you know, there's many kids, and maybe you would be one of those kids who grew up where you didn't have those relationships, right? Where that parental relationship was broken, and maybe it still is broken. But the thing is, you still know what it is you desire. You still know how you want that relationship to be, even if you don't have any hope that it's ever going to change. You still know that there's something other than what you have now, or what you had growing up. And we live in a sinful world and we can see sin and we call it out and it affects our lives, but yet we still know 
that God created things to be different in that relationship. If you ever had the chance to work with kids who come from those kinds of broken family relationships, you experience it because if you show any bit of love, any bit of care, any bit of presence, any bit of compassion, they are immediately by your side and they're like, that's what I want. And you might have only met them 30 minutes ago, but they want to come home with you. They want you to be their mom and they're not afraid to say it, even if their mom's within earshot of it. It's embarrassing, right? I mean, have you, maybe some of you have experienced this kind of thing. Can I come over and sleep over your house? No, I'm sorry, you can't. I mean, you know, or can, can I, you know, I want you to be my mom. I want you to be my dad. Because they get it. They're after it. They're after something. Because they're made that way. They're made to be after that thing. They're kids. They're supposed to have parents who love them. And this is all, and if you're in those kinds of situations, you might feel kind of like, you know, propped up and on a pedestal because you feel like, wow, this kid likes me. We love when kids love us, right? Who doesn't love to make a baby smile? If you don't, you have problems. (laughs) Who doesn't love when a kid picks you as their best friend as an adult and says, I want you to be my mom or I want you to be my dad. Well, I must be doing pretty good. Yep. This kid just met me an hour ago. They want me to be their mom. They want me to be their dad. It's twisted. It's messed up. And we probably feel that too. And we should because it's not supposed to be that way. But they're looking for something. They're looking for something that they know is there. And it's the thing that John is talking about. They're looking to be present, to remain, to be in that sphere of a parent. And that's how we were made. And we have a dad. And he showers his love on us. And we're supposed to abide and remain. And these things over here, though, they keep calling us. They keep distracting us, right? Kids want this thing because they know that it's good. Because they know that the relationship with a parent is a doorway. They know it's a doorway. When that kid says, hey, I I want you to be my mom or dad, they know that if if in their wildest imagination you could become their mom or dad because they know that their family is messed up, that if you could, you know, in their dreams become their parent, then this realm would open up into a different world. Like they could trust you. They would get good gifts. They would have adventures. They would experience compassion and love in ways that their heart is pulling them to experience love. So they get this idea of a parent being a doorway into something beautiful, new opportunities. And the same is for us. The same is for us. Um, That if you go to Luke 11, uh, Luke 11, verse 11 and 12. Luke 11, verse 11 and 12. It says this. It says, you fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? And the implied answer there is what? No. Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So even in scripture, And Scripture acknowledges sin. Scripture talks about broken family relationships. But Scripture also talks about this proper design that 
what dad, when his kid asks for food, is going to mess with him and throw a rock at his face? Or give him an animal that's going to sting him and hurt him? That's insane. Some parents do, right? Some parents do and some parents have. But that's not the plan. The plan is that the father or the mother gives the good gift when the kid asks because that's how it was designed to be. And so scripture puts it out. This is the truth. This is the way it's designed. And this is the way that our relationship with our father in heaven was designed. He doesn't give us evil gifts. He doesn't manipulate us. Or when we as little children go to the father and ask him for something, uppercut us, punch us in the gut, trick us try to hurt us. Sometimes we feel that way, but he doesn't. And scripture rings true with that. He doesn't. He is good. He is good. And he gives good gifts to his kids. Walking away from the idols that we're quick, so quick to believe, um, will provide us these things that we think will provide us with security and comfort and peace and love even, um, it's hard to do. It's hard to do because sometimes these things do provide us with that stuff. Like sometimes power and money and stuff, status, an identity in something other than Christ, it it speaks to us for a little bit of time. And and we say, I like that. So pulling away from that is is hard, but, but it's absolutely necessary for our survival. Because if we were created to be children, then whatever this is over here is just destroying us. It's just destroying us. Um, John is right when he says that, you know, the realization of our identity as children of God and our desire to push into this relationship is what we were made for. It's what we were made for. We weren't designed to acknowledge those things and live according to those things. We weren't. It might feel natural, but we weren't. We were designed to be over here, to be children, to see the kind of love that the Father has given to us. That's what we were designed for. Uh, and as the Luke 11 passage talks about, you know, this is the design that's been set before us. Like, we know it in our hearts. We may experience to have experienced it to be different, but we know it in our hearts. Like, this rings true. Dads give their kids good gifts, and if they don't, they're supposed to. They're supposed to. So the little kid who comes from the broken home looks to somebody else to be mom or dad or dreams that that might be the case because they know that that's a doorway or at least a doorway in their dream world into something better, right? And the same thing is for us. Like this child-father relationship that John talks about in Scripture is is the doorway to his kingdom. Like when we enter through that relationship, when we believe in that relationship, when we abide in that relationship, when we trust that that's real and not just something that we talk about because that's what Christians talk about, when we actually receive the love that the Father gives and says, I am a child of God, the doorway to the kingdom opens up. Matthew 6.10, on earth as it is in heaven, right? We were taught to pray this way. May your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And I think we even sang that in one of the lyrics this morning. Or Justin, you prayed it, I think. You prayed it. 
we're meant to experience this stuff now. The passage says it. You're going to experience your identity as a child of God now, but there's so much more coming. You're going to experience the kingdom of heaven now, but there's more coming. But let's experience it now. Let's not just live for something down the road. Let's live in it now and then experience the beauty of the fullness of it down the road when Jesus comes. So there's, there's those parallels be, between being a child and the full realization of that and knowing God's kingdom and the full realization of that. Children know the kingdom. Children know the kingdom. How do children know the kingdom? Good question. I'm glad you asked. Kingdom doorways. So when we abide in the Father and we say, I am a child of God and we live in that identity, the world around us changes, okay? And we have this privilege of seeing things that the world does not see, that the world is incapable of incapable of seeing. The stuff that we see may be right in front of somebody who lives in the world, but they don't see it. They don't see it the way that we do it because they're not children of God. Um, one of those is reconciliation. What a privilege it is for God's children, those who abide in him, to see and understand reconciliation. How beautiful is that? Um, go to Ephesians 3, 6 and 7. Ephesians 3, 6 and 7. And this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news. What's the good news? Do you remember from Jay's sermon probably six weeks ago? Jesus. Jesus is the good news. Good. Right. The good news just isn't a message. It's the person of Christ, right? And this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessing because they belong to Christ Jesus. By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news, by spreading this Jesus, right? So, I don't know if you remember this. Years ago, I mean, oh, geez. I don't want to say years. Four, five years ago, maybe? Yeah. I preached the sermon and I talked about... Um, reconciliation um, between Jews and Samaritans. And I talked about, I think, like 800 years of just division. And then all of a sudden we get to Ephesians 3 and it's like Jesus' death on the cross just just wipes that away. 800 years. Hatfields and McCoys, that's nothing. Cowboys and Eagles fans, that's nothing. Right? Reconciliation. When we have that kind of relationship with the Father, we can see reconciliation and say, that's right. There's something right about that. That is the kingdom of God right there. The world says, why would you reconcile that broken mess? What a waste. You believe this. They believe that. Just be broken and stick it to them. But children of God see the beauty of true reconciliation, true coming together, true healing in deeply broken relationships. And we get to see that because our relationship with the Father allows us to see that. Um, grace and mercy, two large concepts in Scripture that mean a lot of things to a lot of people, right? But I want to look at it through the lens of the parable of the Good Samaritan, which we all know the parable of the Good Samaritan. 
you know, the dude gets beat up, the Samaritan's on the road, he's the least likely one to stop and help the beat up dude, because the dude's a Jew, and, but all the other Jewish religious leaders walk by the beat up Jew, but the Samaritan stops, and like showers this generous grace and mercy upon this person that he's not supposed to. And as children of God, we look at that and say, now that's beautiful. That's the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. And the world says, that's stupid. Why would you waste your time, your resources, and somebody who's bleeding, you might get some disease. Let's not, you're losing your head. You're going to give the money out of your pocket to help that piece of trash? And children of God say, that's the kingdom of God. And we have the privilege of seeing it as such. The world says, that's stupid. The time that it takes, you're gone somewhere and you stop to do that when you should be accomplishing that because that's way better than that. Why would you stop to do that? Um, I want to read a little story that's reflective of this parable. Um, This is called Kingdom Efficiency. And I've read, this is my favorite book of all time, Theirs is the Kingdom by Bob Lupton. And I've read various stories to you out of it. But I want to read this one because it relates to this. It's a, it's a doorway into the kingdom. There's something inside me that makes me smile when I see a well-run operation, phones answered professionally, details observed, appointments kept promptly, systems flowing with logical consistency. The competent execution of a well-designed plan is a thing of beauty for me. My love of efficiency is woven inextricably into the fabric of my personality. Some of you can connect with this. I can. I love this stuff, right? Recently, the staff of Family Consultation Service discussed relocating our offices. Our two rooms in a small urban church are seriously overcrowded. A constant stream of kids, church folks, and people from the community make it increasingly difficult to perform necessary administrative tasks. Some days seem like one continuous interruption. It's impossible to get any work done at the office, I say to Peggy in frustration. It violates my sense of responsibility to see my desk piled high with unanswered correspondence, unopened mail, and the notes from unreturned phone calls. My efficiency-loving mind tells me the solution is in the system. I envision a building away from the church traffic. It has ample office space, phones, and meeting rooms. We are centralized under one roof instead of operating out of homes and cars and briefcases. We better coordinate our communication and cut down on impromptu drop-ins, and I get some work done. How many of you have been meeting meeting with me in the office when people just come in off the street? You know, you've all experienced that, yeah. And you just, and it's just, I was meeting with somebody this week and I was like, oh, sorry. You know, but like, I love that. I love our office. I love that space. And yet I wrestle with this whole like, oh, I've got to get this other stuff done. But like being present in that place is awesome. But I, but I wrestle with it. Phone calls, paper, piled up, right? Work, what is my work? Is organizational efficiency really the bottom line? Should a clean desk and a balanced financial report be the fifth of the month be my priority? Is my job well done when my schedule book clicks with precision and the minutia of details are carefully covered? This would satisfy my need for order and control, but what about the kingdom of God? The fundamental building blocks of the kingdom are relationships, not programs, systems, or productivity, but inconvenient, time-consuming, intrusive relationships. The kingdom is built on personal involvements that disrupt schedules and drain energy. When I enter into redemptive relationships with others, I lose much of my capacity to produce desired results with a minimum expenditure of energy, time, money, or materials. In short, relationships sabotage my efficiency. A part of me dies. Is this perhaps what our Lord meant when he said we must lay down our lives for each other? 
If efficiency is a value in God's kingdom, surely it has a different definition. The one who orchestrates history doesn't seem to be in a hurry. God doesn't seem to need closure at the end of each day. Perhaps if one has an eternity in which to accomplish one's work, it's not so important to handle every urgent detail that arises. Kingdom efficiency must have an eternal perspective. There's a little more, but... So, when we abide in the Father and we remain, we can live that kind of way. We can stop and heal the wounds of somebody who's beat up because we know that that is the kingdom of God. Because he showed it to us. He told us that it was. But if we're not living in that stuff and we're living in our idols, then, then resources matter and relationships don't. And so as children of God, as a child, again, in, inherent in the word children implies some kind of relationship with somebody, a parent or parents, relationship matters. It matters. And all of a sudden, we see the kingdom come on earth through relationships. Messy, stinky, broken, inconvenient relationships. Another thing that we have pr- are privileged to see as children of God are acts of gross generosity. And I don't just mean see these things, but participate in these things, right? Like we are called to these things. Um, the, middle, the, the, the middle is white. The widow's might. Luke 21. Go to Luke 21. Verse 1. While Jesus was in the temple, he watched the rich people dropping their gifts in the collection box, and a poor widow came by and dropped in two small coins. I tell you the truth, Jesus said, this poor widow has given more than all the rest of them, for they have given a tiny part of their surplus. But she, poor as she is, has given everything she has. You know, the rich young ruler, same, same story, same message that Jesus gives to the rich young ruler. When we abide when we live in our identity as children and we see acts of gross generosity or are called into acts of gross generosity, we get excited. When God says, give this money over there, and we know God's saying for us to give sacrificially over there, it doesn't feel like a sacrifice, does it? It's it's exciting because it's God's work because the kingdom is here on earth as it is in heaven. So we get to be a part of God's work and we love that because we're his kids and we want to be a part of what our dad's doing. So if dad says give more money than what you think you have over there, we do it. Or sometimes we observe other people doing it. Wow, look at what they're doing. I talked about my neighbor who lets all these people stay in his house. You've heard me talk about him a couple times. It's beautiful. It's beautifully insane. And it challenges me every day when I see another person walking into his house. Maybe it's dumb, maybe it's stupid, maybe he's putting himself at risk. But he's caring for people. He's got a big heart. Would I even let a family member sleep in my house? I don't know. It depends on the situation. Maybe it depends on the family member too. I don't know. But I've got my space. I've got my stuff. I don't want to give it up. And yet, when we're living as children, when God says give it up, we do. And we want to give it up because we enter into the kingdom in those places. And what a privilege it is to enter into the kingdom in those places. Forgiveness. This is a hard one. 
um, Jesus on the cross embodied forgiveness. Like the greatest act in all of human history was an act of forgiveness to all this unrighteousness that was put on him. And then he gives the gift of life and the cleansing of sin on the cross. Um, when we live in our identity as God's kids, forgiveness is like this beautiful thing. When we don't live as God's kids, judgment replaces forgiveness. I'm not forgiving in that place. They don't deserve forgiveness. You don't know what they did to me. Let me tell you what they did to me. It's hard and it's brutal, and yet it is. But when we abide as his children, we see forgiveness and we experience it and we say, that's the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That's the kingdom. Because his children see the kingdom. The world says, what are you doing? What are you doing? Forgiveness? Why would you forgive? Look at the weight of pain that's been put on you by that person. Why would you forgive that? I don't know, because I'm God's kid, and I know that this is right, that this is his kingdom. So as his children who were created in his image, we know that we have this dad. We know that our dad loves us, and we know that in that relationship, we live in this place with the Father in his wonderful kingdom where all these things come into reality. Things that the world cannot know. They cannot possibly know. But we as his children do. And I know we can all, probably even sitting here now, you're thinking like, oh man, you know, like I want to forgive, but I can't. I want to give, but I can't. Um, I want to reconcile this relationship, but I can't. I want to show grace and mercy and compassion, but I can't. I want my time, my world to slow down so I can actually do those things, but I can't. But you can because it's really not up to you to do in your power. God shows us the love that he has for us. And we naturally respond to say, oh, I'm a kid. I was born that way. Just like if you have kids, when they were born, even though they couldn't speak, they were just screaming their heads off and pooping. We're just like, I'm a kid. I'm going to get taken care of. This is good. I'm going to work this relationship. This person feeds me. This person loves me. This person gives me stuff to drink. And when I get older, I find out that they give me good gifts. They love me. They show me compassion. I look to them when I accomplish something. And they smile back and say, good job. And these doorways open into this beautiful, wonderful world. And it is how our relationship is with our Father in heaven. So living as children is so much better it is so much fuller. It promises so much more and delivers every single time than this garbage over here that we all live in. All of us. It's there. It always lets us down. But this, this thing, this, this abiding, this presence with the Father, this being with Dad, it never, ever lets us down. And you know, John's been talking about Gnosticism and if I could summarize John in these five verses, he would be saying like, don't follow the false Jesus. The false Jesus is an idol. It's over here. The real Jesus is here. Be in relationship with the real Jesus. Go there. It's not just talk. It's not just simple Christianese. It's life. 
and it's life everlasting. Jesus, we uh, give our hearts to you. Um, At this point, when our mind wants to rationalize your love or rationalize our idol worship or rationalize our pain that keeps us from going to a loving father, God, I pray that 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 would stop. Um, Our minds are there. You gave us our minds. Our minds are good. Your word talks about our minds. But God, today, I feel like our heart needs to be what engages this. Because this stuff is, is irrational. It only makes sense if we're children, if we're your children. It doesn't make sense in any other realm, in any other kingdom, in any other place, but in your presence and in your kingdom, Jesus. So put that deeply, deeply in our hearts and let your roots grow down deep into us, Lord. We pray this in your name. Amen. So on Thursday, God said, read Romans 8 for the benediction. And then Justin read Galatians. It's practically the same passage. Um, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father. For his Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. Um, after the benediction, I, I, I think that there's some people here that want freedom from these slavish, familial, broken sin things in your past that keep you from experiencing what it means to be a child of God. So come on, we'll pray for you up front. And I think there's some of you here that God's saying you need to be prayers. So I don't know who you are, on either end of those, but just let's do that after the benediction. Um, Let's pray. Jesus, we come collectively as your people, as your children, not as fearful slaves. God, you are a God of freedom. You are a God of freedom who releases your people into your freedom. And so God, we receive that this morning and we look at you and we say, you're a good dad. You're a good dad. And so we receive who you are in our lives as father. We receive who you are in our lives as father. And we receive who we are as your children, as your beloved children. We love you and we pray this in your name. Amen.